Hi there, I'm Kate Monroe, and I'd like to welcome you to a journey of connection, understanding, and empowerment. Join me on Shoulder to Shoulder, a podcast brought to you by With You, an organization based upon the principles of co-production, understanding, and long-lasting relationships. This podcast is dedicated to the incredible power of peer support. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of incredible humans who face the challenges of life head-on, finding strength and solace in the support of their peers. Together, we'll discover the bonds that unite us, the triumphs over adversity, and the unwavering spirit of those who stand shoulder to shoulder helping each other through life's toughest moments. So, grab a seat, lend an ear, and let's embark on this inspiring journey of resilience and hope together. Welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder. Hi, Sharif. Thank you so much for joining me today to share a conversation around peer support, something I know you're really passionate about. Would you like to start by introducing yourself? Introductions are not my favorites, but here goes, Kate. I am Sharif. I am a peer support worker, and I've been a peer support worker for six years now. But this introduction bit around, well, especially when I get asked about introduce yourself in peer spaces or NHS spaces, the mental health, lived experience, practice spaces, which I spend a lot of my time in. Introductions become a problem as I'm becoming a mental health nurse. Um, recently qualified and practicing as a mental health nurse and a peer support worker. I wouldn't say a complete conflict of interest, but conflict of approach, ideas. Yeah. So for the people that do know me, my community, uh, my local community, call me Bushman from my wellness and my workouts in the mornings that we do. I'm, I'm comfortable um, talking about my kids, my lived experience the other day. My lived experience is what got me into peer support. Sharif, the question that I'd like to begin with today, because I'm really interested in each person's unique perspective, is how do you define peer support and what does it mean to you personally? Peer support is humanity. Um, peer support, I think, is to me, it's just a way of being. It's, it's recognising somebody's pain and sort of going, I've been there, I can help and. Sometimes being being there to help that person is just being there, listening. So to define peer support and what it means to me specifically, in a nutshell, I would say peer support is just being a good human being. It's got nothing to do with life qualifications, what you have, achievements you have. It's, I recognize you, I hear you, I want to help you. What a beautiful definition. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Could you tell us bit about how peer support has impacted your personal journey and maybe a specific experience or example that you could draw upon? In my own personal life, peer support, I think, has always been there. Um, language on peer support, though, hasn't always been there. I think my grandmother, my grandfather, my dad, my mom, people that I grew up with back home in a village. I grew up in a village, spent a lot of time in Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya. I'm from East Africa. There was a genocide when I was born. So there was struggle. There was oppression. There was discrimination. Mm -hmm. The genocide was 
partly because of like civil war. So in that sense, I think even now when I reflect back on how my life has been from then till now, peer support existed because then there were people that were, you know, helping my grandma and my mum and people like that get out of the country and escape. So peer support, I feel like, has always been a part of my journey, my life. So it's not something that I think it would be hard for anybody to, to take credit and say they invented peer support. And its impact, you know, on, on my journey. When I look at peer support like that, I, I really think it's been a part of the whole journey. Mm. So without peer support, I wouldn't be here. Um, so I, I, came, I came here, like I said, no language. Mm. People would do things for me. I would do things for people. We would recognize each other on the streets. We say rec- real, recognize real. There's this sort of commonality, solidarity on an estate mm. that nobody else understands. But us people that live, eat, and breathe off the estate. Mm. So that's, that was peer support for me growing up. And that meant that I was involved in things that I wasn't involved, I shouldn't have been involved in. So that might have been, you could say that was negative peer support, mm-hmm. you say that, or peer support that had a negative impact on me. But I think just because it had a negative impact on me in terms of the experiences that it led me down and the things that I experienced as part of my journey, doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it or value it because I think those peers in that time, in that space, where we were all sharing the same trauma and living through mm. difficult times of an estate, if it, if it worked for them, I wouldn't be here today. I think peer support, even if it's uh, in a negative way, and that sounds, that sounds crazy mm. for you to say. No, I know what you mean. You're still learning. Sure. You're still growing. Because peer support is very much about development and learning. So I learned a lot being around people who didn't do things that they were yeah. able to do or me being involved in things that I wasn't, I wasn't, I should have never been involved. But I learned and I grew and I developed through that. Mm. So I, it wasn't negative at all, in my opinion. And, you know, when it comes to my own mental health, for example, so being like a refugee as a child, war, abuse, um, seeing violence, seeing a lot of death, mm. all impacted me. Yeah, of course. But I didn't speak, I couldn't speak about it. Just, there was no language. So I hid, I hid under the easiest thing to do in life, and that's hiding under, I'm big, bad, I'm strong. Yeah. Leave me alone. I get that. That worked. And it worked. It, it does. Works. It's, it's, yeah. it's full, you know, it's foolproof, that one. I think anybody that applies it, and it's interesting because I was looking at, I was looking at something that said about our inner child. I was mm. looking at some work on inner child and it was looking at the type, the archetype males yeah. that become king, mm. that become rulers, that become dominant. And when it was looked into like in terms of childhood, the inner child, they've got like this family tree kind of drawing. Mm. When you get to the bottom of it, you find that these kings, these rulers, these conquerors and warriors, which is what men want to be, are normally weenie kids who are neglected by their parents, struggle to make friends and connections at a young age, are most times the middle sibling in the family, so they struggle for position. Wow. And I was looking into all of this and I was going, that's me, that's me, that's me. I'm at the bottom of all of this thing. Yeah. But also it was very easy 
to carry and walk around like, you know, everything is okay and I'm okay. And peer support was really big in me breaking out of that way of thinking that I can just keep this covered. Because after my, my breakdown, mm. I, I, I had nowhere to hide. The people that I worked around, people who knew me, my personal life, everything was out. And the only thing that I had to do was catch up now. Yeah. I had to live with it, with myself. So I've been catching up with myself ever since I had that language that peer support offered. So that peer, peer support language around recovery, mm. strength-based, you know, to go through life where people concentrate on strength as just physical strength, yeah. not, not, being, not being emotional strength or being mm. vulnerable in front of people and seeing that, that's strength. You know? sure. That's kind of, I was going through life thinking to be strong, lift heavy, pull heavy, look heavy, yeah. look strong. Not realizing that to be strong, look at my strength, mm-hmm. look at my recovery. How do I talk to myself? Mm. How do I look after myself? I, I used to do well-being activities, but they were not intentional. But were they well-being or were they just things that I did? And now, because they are intentional, they, they hit the right spot. So it's impacted me a great deal. That's incredible. and. I love the fact that you mentioned there about learning from perhaps negative experiences, because, you know, let's face it, both are equally important. We don't or can't, I guess, learn from them all the time. But if we can, you know, they're a blessing, aren't they? When you started your recovery journey, Sharif, at what point were you kind of introduced to intentional peer support? When I, when I was younger, yeah, I had. I had a, I had a best friend. Yeah. My best friend was white. Yeah. Had the bluest eyes. Right. I was about three years or two years in the country. So my English was still shaky. And I would go to Danny's house after school and I would chill with Danny and then Danny's dad come back home. And then I realized this is why Michelle, Danny's mom, always used to make sure. I'm out of the house before Danny's dad comes back home. Because Danny's dad was part of the firm, which is a hooligan crew for the West Ham football fans that goes around on the weekend bashing black boys. And, 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 and you know, it was, it was in Upton Park, loads of black boys and Asian people. So one day Danny's dad finds me in the house and it kicks off. Fuck is this doing in my house? Yeah. Danny's mum stood up for me. That was the first bit of piss because I was struggling with I couldn't go to where I needed to be. So I was hanging around in the house I shouldn't have been. But she stood up for me and that was the first time I, I got peer support and I thought that's, that's peer support. But in terms of my recovery experiences, my mental health recovery experiences, it was in the recovery house where I met another patient on the ward and they were being bullied. This this guy who was in a he was in a room next to me, and they were being bullied. So every time we go to the cafeteria, common area, me and him play snooker and we have our food together. But he likes to leave early or come out when no one's in a communal area for us to spend time together. And I didn't realize it because this guy's huge, he's massive, but he's gay, and you know. 
it's not obvious because he's a big Scottish, tall, huge man. You know, you don't walk around going, oh, he's gay. You don't. You just don't. He didn't look gay. Yeah. But he had the kindest heart. And me and him, we had a connection of, we both were struggling with our mental health. I'm in here to recover. You're in here to recover. You're my next door neighbor. We go and eat. And then one day he tells me, he says, he was shaking. I said, what are you shaking for, bro? Like, is everything okay? He said, ah, oh, they're coming in. They're coming in. And it was the other patients coming to eat at the same. So where we, where we would eat in the communal area, we would all come off out of our rooms, walk down the corridor mm. and get into like a kitchen space. And there's a dining area we eat. Mm-hmm. So when people, when these guys are coming in, this was about day three of, of me and him being neighbours, me and him having breakfast and lunch and dinner together. And where exactly was this? North London. Okay. And what kind of facility were you in, Sharif? It was a mental health hospital. Okay. North London. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a recovery house. Yeah. So I was recovering and I was in a recovery house. And I can't explain this. Like when, I, when I'm talking about it now, how upsetting it was. I mean, I, I kind of looked at it like, I never imagined Sean to be feeling bullied, feeling scared. Because that feeling for me, I hate bullies. Mm. Like I couldn't stand anybody being bullied. Yeah. But I can't explain to you the feeling it made me, when mm-hmm. he shared with me that these guys are coming and I'm shaking and I'm, mm. I'm scared because of them. And I looked at him, I looked him up and I said, Sean. Oh, mate. He was bigger than me. Yeah. He, he, he was, um, and I'm a big guy, but he's a bigger guy. And I thought, if you're feeling like this, mm. how would I feel? Yeah. So I said, Sean, come with me. And I, I, I stood up with him and I walked over to the other patients when they were, where they came and sat down to eat. And I said, if anybody has a problem with me, I said, yeah. me, you're going to have to go through him. Wow. Because he's with me. And Sean didn't know what to do or say because oh. I put him, I, I put him on the, in the spot and he, and he just stood there. Yeah. But all I know is they didn't fuck with us. Mm-hmm. Me and Sean came in at lunchtime together, at dinner time together, in the morning together. And I thought it was, you know, just anything. That's, that's what we do for each other on the estate. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. But for Sean, when he explained to me after this, that, Sharif, I've never had anybody stand up for me the way you stood up for me that day. And I said, Sean, if you look at us carefully, my neck is straining to look at you. Right. You stood up for me. I spoke for you. All I did was speak. And because I said, if they trouble me, they're going to have to go through you. That means I can't even, I'm not telling them that I'm going to defend myself. (laughs) You're going to have to stick up for me if they come for me. And I think what that did for Sean is that he got a lot of confidence. Yeah. And I didn't know that in that moment, in, its, in itself, there was peer support happening. Yes. Because what Sean was doing for me was keeping me sane, feeling safe, because I myself was in there scared, didn't know what the fuck to do. Mm. But he was making me feel safe. His size, and it didn't matter about his background, about anything like that. Yeah. It was like, we're in this together, bro. We're going to finish this together. Wow. There's no quitting in us. There's no, we're going to get out of this place. Mm. It was then from that connection that it was actually, he did my application form for me to get into peer support work. Sean used to work in bars 
as a barman. And I used to work as a security guard. But Sean was very into like, what's in the community? What can you do? And this was my first time going in as an inpatient into a recovery house for a long time. Whereas he'd been in a few times. And he said to me, well, look, Sharif, I think you'd be great at A, B, C, D, D, D. I said, Sean, uh, you know, I'm a security guard, man. Right? Just, just, just leave me out of it. Just drop me out. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've tried, I've done this studying, trying to do all of that before. He said, no, this doesn't involve you going to uni or anything like that. I want you to apply for this job. And I said, Sean, can you do the application for me? So Sean did the application for me. For me. I'm talking to you now about peer support. You invited me here off the back of something that somebody did for me. That's peer support. You know, throughout everything you've just said, Sharif, a key theme keeps cropping up. And that's something you mentioned right at the beginning. Humanity. Humanity at its best. And yours is such a beautiful and powerful story. Made me really emotional, if I'm being honest. Just want to come over there and give you a hug. Um, so moving forward, what was your first experience of actually offering peer support? So when I got involved in peer support, it was, um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm old or anything like that, but things were very different to how they are now. I think I was looking around and I was going, this feels weird because I'm the only black man in this whole room. Having come from places in, I grew up in London, so most environments, most settings I've been in, I'm not the only black man, or I've made sure that I'm not the only black man. That's where I used to go. And I'm in peer support now, and I'm the only black guy in there of my age. And I'm thinking, is this the right place for me to be? So when I first got involved in peer support, it was difficult, because um, I was coming from, I was coming from life as, a security manager trying to set up my own security business to now taking a really shit pay cut in, in doing work that I had no idea what I was doing. I had no fucking idea. I had I'd received peer support training from really, really great facilitators, but then I was left to go and practice. So when I first got involved, it was difficult, man. I didn't want to stay in it, um, if I'm being totally honest with you. But, yeah, it was just, I was just thinking of the time when it made me stay. It was, I think it was maybe my second week. So my peer support start was very shaky as well. Because you're going into hospitals. I was, I work in A&E, um, accident emergency. Fucking loud. It's like a movie in there all the time. And if you've never worked in A&E, most people who come to A&E are like excited because they literally only see A&E on the TV or in the movies. When I get there, I'm like, oh, this is too much. My second week, I go in, I walk into the, the ward and the lady at the reception is sort of like, who are you? And a support worker. She's kind of like, oh, come. And this, this is a mental health acute assessment ward and people are being assessed in there. And I go in there to see a lady who, in handover upstairs, they said, suicidal, doesn't want to talk to anybody. Married, got a very strong career, very loving husband. Loads of protective factors. So my team upstairs, when we did the handover for this lady, it was, we are going to admit. The anxiety around this whole case was the decision was kind of already made. Like, you know, we need to make sure that you're all right. Anyway, I'll go down there. She hasn't spoken to nobody for, I think, 
24 hours she'd been there. I can't remember, 24, 48 hours. And on her, on her body, on her person, she had the plan. She had the book where she'd written everything. Um, what she was going to do, who she was going to tell, everything. So there was a plan. There was an intent. There was an intention to actually go through with suicide. But she spoke to me, and it was off the back of me sharing my story with her. And I said, "This is why I'm here to see you because I've been here and I've been in this position before." And from somebody who didn't want to speak to nobody else, she spoke to me and she shared with me this this plan. And I said to her, "Now you've shown me this plan. I have to show. I, I have to tell my team." But this is not a bad thing for you because things can actually move forward. You know, now we know how we can help you. And she said to me, can you help me tell my husband? And first of all, okay, the husband is German. The lady is Eastern European. I am a 32-year-old black man now. The only credit I've got for being there is I had a breakdown. I went into a recovery house. Somebody filled in an application form for me. Peer support, peer support, peer support got me there. And now I'm in there. And I'm feeling really kind of awkward to think, so you want me to tell your husband about this? And I sat with her and I said, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And I, I, I spoke to her and I finished with her. And then I, I went got the phone, called her husband. The husband was like, Oh, thank you. Um, I kind of suspected it, but nobody's told me anything. She didn't want to share it with me. Thank you. And that was that. And I remember the, that was the first time going home after, after work uh, in a, like a, a very shit time at work. That was the very first time I went to I went back home feeling like I did something that was um, meaningful in my life. Um, not just as going to work, because I realized that for some people, going to work is just going to work. But for me at that time, going to work was recovery and every every experience was part of my recovery. And me feeling like I went to work and I did something meaningful, yeah, it made me it made me stick around. It made me, because then I had, after that, I had experience after experience of, you know, going in to work and finding somebody on the floor and the nurse is about to give him diazepam and say, look, man, I just stand over them. Sometimes I just tower over them. So look, man, I've been there before. <laughs> I said, I bet I'm blurring. I bet I'm whirling right now. I bet I'm going in circles. Can you see me? And the person goes, oh, oh, wait, wait. And they get up themselves. They stumble up themselves. This is somebody who's been restrained. The nurse is about to give them diazepam. And so, first of all, that's how it became. It's something that I felt like, yeah, I could do this and I loved it. And I've stayed in, in, in peer support for, uh, I feel like a dinosaur six years now. That's incredible. So you're literally helping people back up, right? Which is what it's all about. Um, and so powerfully put, Sharif. What a, what a mind-blowing journey. So what do you think sets peer support apart from other types of support or other therapy, you know, what is it about peer support that is so special? Peer support is side by side. It's not really you go forward, I come, or I go and you follow. So that's how life is. That's how life is in most cases. Even if you're thinking about your child or our, our parents, 
They want us to go behind them. They want us to do better than them. When you think about your role models, you want to go behind them. But when you think about the people you idolize, you don't want to be side by side by them. You want to be behind them. Peer, peer support challenges all of that. And that's why I say it's the language because I think this, this has always been there. They've, I've always had people that, you know, who do things side by side with me rather than push me or pull me behind. So when you say always, is that from when you were a young child living back in Africa? Yeah, from when I was a child, from when I was back in Africa, in the, in the village, in the cities that I lived in, in school, growing up here in London, in the state. There's always been somebody who can come side by side. You know, I remember, like, okay, mentors or role models. I went to a tough school in East London, and you'd have people come to talk to us before PE. You know, I was stabbed. I used to carry a knife. I used to have guns. And they would share their stories in the mornings with us before we did PE. They were using their lived experience to improve us. But we never got it. We never received it that way. Partly because we had uncles, brothers, dads, granddads in our houses who did the same thing, but just never spoke about the trauma, the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks. Just never spoke about it. So that's what makes peer support different from all these other types of like forms of support. You know, like some, when I look at the peer support workforce, and I love being part of a workforce that I recognize myself in because we don't all look perfect. We don't all look a certain way. We don't all look uniform because we don't want to be perfect and we don't want to be new. We all look exactly how we want to look. And I love that about peer support. You know, peer support is about somebody's lived experience being utilized. And that can be any experience. You've got other professionals, you've got loads of lines of work that say we need a degree, you need to have this experience, you need to do this, you need to do that. Make you jump through hoops only for you to be disappointed in it. That sounds a bit cynical as, an, as, a, as a mental health nurse, going into mental health nursing. Sounds cynical, but peer support rewarding is, it's almost like an exchange right there. You work with somebody and when it hits and it works well with that person. I often say I'm selfish. I'm one of the most selfish bastards in the gym. I say it all the time because I will work out with the guy on the bars, the guy in the corner, the guy doing handstands. I'll work out on the treadmill and it looks like I'm sharing. <laughs> I'm picking up a little bit there, picking up a little bit there, picking up a little bit there, picking up a little bit there. <laughs> you and, get a really good workout. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're all loving it. They're all going, oh, you know, yes, yes, come, come. And I'm, I'm going, I'm the most selfish bastard in here. I'm going to take from you, take from that, take... I'm taking, <laughs> and, but I think it's because in giving or when you, as, as much as they're giving, you know, they're receiving, we're receiving, and that's peer support. And I think that's what sets it apart because I could do nursing and I think about my day on a ward as a nurse, do medication, do, do my, my notes, do my care plan, do my meetings. Very busy. It's very, very structured hectic. as well, isn't it? And, and I have to admit, it has to be because as a mental health nurse, I'm managing chaos. I'm looking after chaos. Mm. There's maybe 38, 25 patients on a ward and I'm responsible. So there's a difference to how peer support is practiced mm. in that. But what I mean by the reward as a nurse, 
out of a five-day week, there will be maybe on each day, I'll have a moment of, yes, this is why I do what I do. With peer support, I would have those hits like about five, yeah. six times a day with the people that I work with because I'm there. It's therapeutic. It's reciprocal. I'm not there as a nurse to just be there to look after them. I'm there to stand side by side with them. And I think that's an important distinction to make as well um, in peer support and other therapies. In peer support, we tend not to rush things because we know recovery cannot be rushed. And that's really important. It's really important that we don't ask other professionals to rush us in our recovery because we know that when we rush recovery, it's relapse that's coming up. Of course, of course. It's not yeah. going to be effective recovery. However, mm. if we gradually step up slowly, 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 slowly. Mm. I said once to my guy in the gym who was struggling, and I said, dude, just think of yourself as big tree, guy next door, chainsaw, mm-hmm. guy following you, he's got a fucking axe, yeah? Okay. Guy after him has a machete, right? Guy after him mm. has a fucking fork, yeah? I said, guess what you have, mate? You've come with a fucking toothpick to cut down the street. <laughs> but we're doing what? We're cutting down the street with the toothpick. Okay. It will break. It will break. Hey, no matter what anybody says, it yeah. will, the tree will break off the pressure of a toothpick. I just have yeah. to be consistently picking away at it. If you don't believe me, go and ask a woodpecker. <laughs> go and ask a woodpecker. <laughs> <laughs> or go and stand in front of a tree with a toothpick for a couple of years. <laughs> but it's our minds. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we tell ourselves, we, we need, I, need, I need the chainsaw, mm. or the guy next door has the machete, or, the, or that guy has big arms, or that guy has this. No. The toothpick would do the same job, just keep consistent. I love that analogy. I just love it. I can't get that picture of a woodpecker out of my mind. Um, And suffice to say, I could sit and chat with you all day, Sharif, um, but we have to kind of bring things to a close now. I've got a couple more questions to end on, and I've asked everybody these because I'm really interested in how people perceive themselves. So what would you say was your biggest achievement? My greatest achievement? Mm. Staying well this long. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm, uh, like, you know, like I've got things tipped up. Because um, this is something that came up for me in a session recently and I was thinking about what does well mean to me? What does wellness mean to you? And if somebody was to ask you that, okay, what, what does wellness mean to you? Go on. What does wellness mean to you? I think that wellness for me is to reach a place where we were kind of talking about this earlier, weren't we? Kind of having clarity, having a head that doesn't feel like it's permanently clogged up and to be able to maintain that. Um, and also to find joy in things in life. That's, you know, always an aspiration. And that's what wellness means. Similar to what comes up for me when I go, what does wellness mean for me? When my head, I, I didn't use clarity. You know, I said, when my head doesn't feel so clogged up, I use the analogy when my cup does not feel like it's empty or half, because half cup means dangerous. Warning, yeah, because operating from a half cup, I'm giving people what I should be giving myself. And ultimately, that's going to run out. 
I think my greatest achievement, and when I say well, it's, it means so many things impact attached to that. It means I've been selfish. I've been, and I was just, I was just laughing with me about going into the gyms and, but I mean that on the, I mean that on a really like personal level, and I hope you get what I mean by this because before I didn't think of doing things for myself as go do it, Shri. do it for you, forget what anybody else did. Do it for you. And now where things are more intentional, I go and do things for myself. I've been told countless times by people whilst growing up, well, you go do a degree. Why don't you do something to do with helping people? And it's never happened because I didn't want to do it. But because I told myself I want to do it, I've done it. And what I've realized, that wellness doesn't mean that I'm not going to relapse. Staying well doesn't mean that I'm not going to have bad days where I actually think, you know what? Fuck it. I mean, I walk around with a jumper. My guy in the gym says this to me. My jumper says, never give up on the back. Should say it at the front because I should be telling it to myself. <laughs> and that's what I mean by the greatest achievement is remaining well and having that mindset that I've got to do things for me and no matter what happens, I've got to be okay. I've got to look after myself in the midst of the chaos because the chaos does not go away. I'm still a father of four. I'm still a peer support worker. I still have my mental health challenges that come up mm-hmm. all the time. There's no, there's no days off. And I think in recovery, we're all warriors. There's no, sure. you know, it was, it was a good day today. No, it was a good day because I chose to, I, I made that choice that it was going to be a good day. But yeah. When I ball into the gym with my Primark gear, feeling good, you know, I look over there, somebody's got Nike on. Ooh, I did us. Yeah. I stay because because we're because I'm in my lane and I'm so happy and confident mm. in my stuff. I'm like, oh yeah. Hey, check. You see this one? I said, where'd you get this one from? I said, Primark. <laughs> you know? And because I'm making Primark look good, after a couple of times, me, me and my boy were doing the treadmill. I said, mate. Notice some of these guys are popping into Primark and <laughs> cut, they cut me with shots and the jumpers, I said. Yeah, uh, they work. They work. Uh, they work. So, yeah, staying in your own lane, that's, that's also been a, a thing for me, like a real game changer. Oh, Sharif, I love that. Absolutely love it. So this is the final thing I'd like to ask you today, and I'm really, really interested in what you've uh, got to say about it. Who would you say is your biggest inspiration? You ask this question now, if you asked me two weeks ago, even, I might have said somebody else. Biggest inspiration has been me. So 2012, I worked the 2012 Olympics. Our motto was dare to be inspired. Dare to be inspired. It was this idea that we, we all lack inspiration. So dare to be inspired. And I looked around and I was going, Inspired. Look, I was a, I was I was working at the 2012 Olympics. And there was nothing inspirational there. I was pulling the, the tarmac on, doing the work, lagging everything. It was sweaty. It was hot. Made money. It was good, but I wasn't inspired. I felt like there was very little care in the world. So I wrote on my laptop, "Dare to care." That was in 20. That was in 2012. And that's because I didn't, I didn't feel like nobody cared for me. That was a difficult time for me. I, I was having kids. I was hiding with my mental health shell. Yeah, I just wanted care. 
I wanted to care about myself. And I didn't at the time. But I came through all of those times, even after the death of my dad, even after the breakdown, my, my breakdown, even after the breakdown of my relationship, the death of my grandmother, during this last three years, so difficult um, with a baby. And when I look into this work around myself and my inner child, the only person that's been present through all of those things has been me. It's been the young Sharif who was abused, traumatized, hurt. That person has never left me. All that person has done is gone. In 2012, you said, dare to care. You still haven't cared for me. And all I've done over the last three or four years is consistently go and care for that person. And the more I've cared for that person, the more that person has inspired me. Now that person I'm talking about is young Sharif. It's not, it's, it's not the Bushman you see in front of you. It's not the Sharif you see here. And that's why I say I'm inspired by him because there's this meaning around that word inspire as well. Like I, I, I aspire. There's people who I aspire to be. They're, they're like my friends in the gym, some of them I aspire to be. Like some of the people that I think are great, um, I aspire to be like them. But I'm not inspired by them because being inspired by them makes me weak. And it lessens me because I'm in my inspire. And that's, that's my answer. That's why when you ask me who inspired me, it's me. Wow. I'm so blown away by that. Honestly, I just want to hang out with you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Sharif. You've been, you've been amazing. Thank you for being so open, for sharing in the way that you have and for inspiring me because I found you so inspirational and I've loved our chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shoulder to Shoulder by With You. For more information about our organisation and access to additional resources, please visit our website at www.with-u.co.uk. Remember, you're never alone when you've got a shoulder to lean on. Stay connected.